0: We are in the Gospel of Genesis, chapter 48. The Gospel of Genesis, chapter 48. I trust you had a good Father's Day, those of you who are fathers. The rest of you, I trust you had a good Father's Day anyways. I did. I had a wonderful one. Um, Read along with me, would you please? Don't get nervous. Just because I'm pouring a drink doesn't mean this is going to be extra long. And even so. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, or Luz. It's your decision. They did lose the name and it became Bethel. In the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply. And I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me when I came from Padan Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way and there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath that is Bethlehem Then Joseph saw I'm sorry then Israel saw Joseph's sons <coughs> He said who are these Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. And Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand. If that sounds confusing. We'll demonstrate it in a minute. It'll be easier, because he brought them near. He brought them near. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand, Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lands. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, for he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, and he shall be great also. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And who would know that better than the younger brother Israel? And his descendants shall be a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, I will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh," And thus he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you, and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, whom I took from the land of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. All right, now, would you take a moment, get alone with the Lord, and just ask him to prepare your heart. Would you do that? Take one moment, you and the Lord, say, God, let my heart be ready to hear what you want to speak to me today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lord, you've told us that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, that we could speak with the tongues of men or of angels, we could perform tremendous deeds, miracles and prophecies, but without love, we gain are, and do nothing. We recognize redefining love as just some form of warm fuzzy doesn't do well either. But the idea of actually becoming selfless, we recognize that that takes a supernatural act to look beyond the universe of ourselves, to place you into the center of our universe, and to put other people closer in the line than ourselves. We recognize that We're not humanly capable of doing that. Not at least for a benefit that actually is completely selfless. But you, on the other hand, you're perfect. And God, you can take the same information, but you've warned us that there was information that didn't even benefit those who heard it because they didn't mix it with faith. And we can seek to take the trust that you placed inside of us. And in that, we can seek to inculcate that information into our beings in such a way that we will be permanently changed, permanently. Made more like you and genuinely loving as you intend. So what we're asking is for a miracle, we recognize that. But thank you for being the God of miracles. So I commit this time to you. I pray that you would redeem every second. I pray that you immerse me in your spirit, that there would be no human intention left in this. I pray that you would, even right now, fill me to overflowing, that you would be spilled on everyone. Make me simply a transparent hose and then douse this precious fellowship you bled and died for with your presence. Engulf us now into the deluge of your love. And may we genuinely find ourselves undistracted, undiverted, and absolutely right where we belong with you. So I commit this time to you. Have your way, I pray. Save, transform. Oh God, you know my desire to see deliverance today. So bring deliverance, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I'll start with letting you know my bias. I usually say it this way, don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so, search the scriptures, let the Bible always have the final say, let the Bible be your authority. So let me tell you my bias, there is one expert, and that's God. And he wrote a book, and that book stands is the one volume above any other quote-unquote expert in any field pertinent to you. And the reason I say that is, I may say some things today that might be offending. Well, that's nothing new. Those of you who come regularly, some of you almost come to be offended. <laughs> we can be honest. The scripture, If the scripture is slaying the old man that we are, it should be offensive because there'd be a part of us that doesn't want to die. But I challenge you, if anything offends your better senses, your old person or anything, take it to Scripture first. Don't just go find someone with a bunch of letters next to the name and find out whether what they say about it. What does Scripture say? Well, here's where we're at. There was a man who was 130 when he came to Egypt. It's been a long road since 60 when his kids were born. In that particular time, before they were born, they were warned by his wife, "Give me kids. Give me kids. Give me kids." So she gets him. It's a rough pregnancy. Why is this so rough? She seeks the Lord, the Lord speaks to her. Ladies, find a book written 3,000 years ago that says that God personally speaks to women. I found one, it's right in front of us. And there God says, two nations are in your womb. Of those two nations, they will be at enmity with one another. But the older will serve the younger That was the promise for which the younger, that's Jacob, heel catcher. Because as his brother was born first, the hand of this boy is on his heel as if to pull him back in to get the firstborn status. Assumedly unaware of the promise that the younger one actually is going to be the favored, so to speak. And it's a rough road for that boy. He's loved by mom, but not so favored by dad because his older brother is a hunter and apparently a barbecuer. And some of you ladies know the way to a man's heart sometimes can be a stomach, and might I say, the fast lanes of barbecue, at least in our household. And with that, every promise that God has placed upon this boy is a long shot, but... You're aware of the fact God is the God of the long shots, right? And though dad would have favored the oldest, Jacob through chicanery will actually get the blessing. And and it's a blessing that was promised in many ways. And here's the rough part, friends. The ends never justify the means. What Jacob will not be able to do is at this stage in his life, turn around and tell you how God would have done it. Because he doesn't have that. He does have the result, but he doesn't have the blessing of being able to say, let me tell you how God, against all odds, stepped in and did it. And that's always the problem when you try to help God out. Through that time, Jacob has met somebody ultimately greater than himself. He has in sort of the ripoff, which is much like his name. He will flee from a brother who wants to kill him because, well... Now he got the birthright that his brother, or in the blessing his brother, would have, would have received. And his brother being a hunter, that's the worst guy to flee from that wants to kill you. It'd be different if the guy was a juggler or the guy was a swimmer. But when the guy's a killer and he wants to kill you, that's kind of what he does. That's the worst guy to have to want to kill you. And Jacob flees. And on en route now, this is the first time it appears he's ever been away from mom, although seems to take mom's maidservant with him. He flees and in route now, fleeing to a relative, he encounters God at a place called Luz. He sees this thing that looks much like the escalator at Angel. Big and long, seemingly endless, without all of those pictures on the sides, of course. With angels coming and going. And it's there that God meets him and says, Hey, I'm the God of your fathers. I took care of your dad. I took care of your grandpa. I've taken care of all of them. I'll take care of you. I'll get you to where you're going, and I'll get you back home, boy. Loose paraphrase. It isn't like he's from the south of Alabama. And, and with that, Jacob then makes a deal, because he's kind of a deal maker, like some of us, and he says, well, I'll make a deal with you. If you really do, provide bread for me, and you really do save my life, because my brother's trying to kill me, you get me back safely, you can be my God. And you can almost see God saying, Well, that's a relief. <laughs> Jacob will spend 20 years at that relative's and find out that there's actually somebody that's more of a ripoff than ripoff is. And as Jacob had sort of stolen the first right, though promised it, Jacob will have to pay and see what it looks like to deal with the first right because he falls in love with the younger sister of the firstborn girl and winds up getting a two-for-one package that he didn't bargain for. And with that then, by the time Jacob leaves, he's got four wives, 13 children, and they start heading down. Jacob is now fleeing Uncle Ripoff. Actually, his name is Uncle Whitey. That's the name Laban. Lavan means Whitey. So fleeing and don't get any ideas here. I told you, Whitey, I told you. Um, we're all sinners. And as he flees him, now he's got Whitey behind him and, and Harry the hunter in front of him. It's a rough time and God meets him again. And it's in this time he wrestles. And in wrestling with an angel, by the way, the word for for angel is the word malach. Can you say malach? And malach, by the way, means, hear me out, dispatch simply means somebody dispatched from headquarters. That's important. Because we tend to look at an angel as a species. Cherub, species. Seraph, species. Angel, job. Now, here's the fun, and I won't get into it too much because I don't want to freak you out. Can a donkey be an angel? Can he be a messenger? Certainly. Can he be dispatched? With the case of Belachim, we'll see later, is the case. Is he a seraph or a cherub? Of course not. Can God use you as one? Be careful. Because it says that John the Baptist sends messengers to ask Jesus, are you really the one in that same word? And by the way, the Greek word is angelas, from which we get angel. The word for good is you, eu, E-U. And if you take you and put it before angelas, we get the word evangelist. If you're an evangelist, you're a good angel. There you go. Yeah, amen. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're a little naked, you know, baby from the Renaissance, floating with wings, playing a harp. Which, by the way, you can play in the Renaissance. We don't see it in Scripture, nonetheless. And with and there's a nice tangent. And, and, and with all of that, he wrestles with this dispatch, and it's there at the end of it all. Jacob is finally surrendered and asking for that blessing, which, by the way, is the way of saying, "Okay, you win. You have to bless me, or kill me, and I'll take the blessing instead." I mean, I've got a guy that really wants to kill me behind. I've got a guy that really wants to kill me in front. He's coming with an army. Please, this would be a good time for a blessing. You ever have those kind of days? It's like really a blessing would be really rich right now. Well, with that, well, what's your name, boy? Rip off. Well, I'm not going to call you that anymore. We're going to call you Israel. Now, he would actually know the name, Sarai, because that was the name of Grandma, Sarai, before she got the name changed to Sarah. Sadai, by the way, means argues, contends, fights a lot. You Imagine, hey, I'd like you to meet my daughter. Fights a lot. She's single. Uh-huh. <laughs> Going to stay that way, too. You know? <laughs> oh, I'll take her. All right. Good for you. She'll become a princess. All right. Sadai struggles El-God. Struggles with God, but won. And Jacob's victory, hear me, Jacob's victory was in Israel. And that was in the surrender. Ironic, isn't it? The only way you win with God is surrendering. But let's face it. God's intentions are actually better for you than your intentions are for you. So you want to fight God? That is the dumbest thing you could think of. It's the child trying to fight you for something you want to bless them with. No, no, no. Don't make me get up for Christmas. No, 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 no. I don't want to open presents. No, no, no. How dumb. And it's the story of all of our lives, friend. It's the story of all of our lives. But just like Jacob, just like Simon Peter, well, it isn't like a switch gets hit. Wouldn't we love that? And then, oh, there's old Jacob all dead, and all Israel is there, and look at how Israel's the new man. Unfortunately... There is that period of time that usually lasts the rest of our life where God starts to change the recipe daily. A little less Jacob and a little more Israel. But it starts with surrender. And I just want to ask, have you surrendered to the gift of Jesus Christ? That's where it starts. Because without that surrender, you will just wrestle the rest of your life with no new guy to lean on and we can fight God for a thousand or a million reasons, might I just say, in this room, as your coach, in the locker room of life, none of them are legitimate. You can convince yourself, and you can lie to yourself, but that's just like arguing and saying, I have a legitimate reason not to take the blessings my family want to give me, or my dad wants to give me, or more so, my perfect heavenly father wants to give me. Adopt me into his family, cover me in innocence, engulf me in love. And what we find throughout the rest of the scripture from Jacob's life is this, or Israel's life, is this battle between the old man that we were and the new man that he wants to make us. And can I just say that when we look at this text, there is something beautifully profound. And God, by the way, doesn't mince words, and he has this beautiful way of of saying, Jacob, when you're Jacob, and Israel, when you're Israel. Jacob, when you're not walking in faith, when you're not walking in faith, you're going to do it. Israel, when you've surrendered to God, because when you walk in faith, you can surrender to God in it. Jacob, when it's all about making it happen and helping God out, still thinking you're actually blessing God by helping the perfect, almighty God, Remember when Jesus talked about how he was going to get arrested and beaten, and Peter of all people jumps up? Simon, at that moment, look in scripture, you'll see the same thing with Simon and Peter. And Simon says, Don't worry, you got me. I'm rocky. Hey, don't worry. Like you know, no, imagine what he's saying. He's saying, Don't worry, God, you got me. I'll protect you. Now think about that. If you have to protect your God, you've got the wrong one. (laughs) Any other God but the real one, you'll spend all your time protecting it. You got the real God, he'll spend all his time protecting you. I'll go with the latter. In our text here, Jacob now, Jacob Israel, has made his way down to Egypt. And if you really look at it, the first eight verses, first seven verses, focus on Jacob with one quick statement about Israel in the middle of it. And then from verse eight to the end of the chapter, it's Israel, 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 Israel. And there's something I always want to glean from this, and that is, well, who in the world was I, and would I be like this? And on the other side of it, can I be like the new guy? Now, Scripture will say, repeatedly: Ephesians 4, the book of Colossians, where it speaks about, put off the old man, put on the new. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, a glorious... I just Let me put it in sort of the Pastor Tony Urban talk on it. Ready? You came to Christ, Jesus was killed, you were killed. Jesus raised from the dead. He's got a, he's a brand new thing. You're a brand new thing. Why do you want to act like the old dead guy? Walk like the new one. God gave you a new one. Why pick up the old? That's the one rotten and decaying and stinky. Oh, you might be more familiar with it, but the new one, get to know him. He's the one actually that starts to look more like Jesus. Now, look at this with me, and I really do pray that you would be ministered to, and I'm going to be honest, like I have been this week as I've been wrestling with this text. Because there's one thing to be able to say, I can confidently tell you what the text says. And then there's another thing to say, I can confidently tell you this text that I have made the choices and the changes necessary to line up with this text. And I don't want to be the kind of guy that says, well, intellectually, I can ascribe to this information. Let it up land upon you like the dew and snow. You know. Meanwhile, I'm going to you know, die of thirst. And it's like, how lame would that be when, to be honest, what you should be watching in all of us is somebody changed by the very text we're looking at. Now, verse 1. You didn't think we were going to get there. Well, we are. It came to pass after these things. After what things? Remember how we saw the benefits of being in Joseph's family? And we saw the famine factor of those who weren't. At the end of it all, this was then the response from daddy. He's like, bury me. When you do bury me, don't bury me here. Bury he me back in the land that God promised me. Which is interesting because it assumes as if, if we're kind of running time, unless God really kind of jumped us in the middle, he was 130 when that happened. He's like, look, I'm about to die make sure that you bury me in the right place when you guys come back. I'm confident you guys are going to come back when you do bury me back in, in, in the land of Israel." And then God says, okay, 17 years later, Dad's actually about to die now. And He really doesn't give us really anything but a chapter break difference, which, by the way, wasn't written in the original text. So, I mean, in those moments, and I, I just think, talk about a lengthy death, a death scene. This is worse than opera. There are 17 years here. I'm about to die. And then you're like, wow, Dad, it's, you wanna, can I make you dinner? You know, and happy birthday, Dad. 17 more times. And, and so after those things, and God doesn't spend any time on that time other than now it's what dad said. It actually, it, you know, if you were to say, look, at it, I'm dying, chances are sooner or later you, you'll be right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like saying a stop clock is right twice a day. Anyway, so it came to pass. You can think about that later. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manash and Ephraim. By the way, again, Joseph sold by his brothers. Joseph is one of those twelve boys of Jacob. And with that, um, the one presumed dead, sold by his brothers into Egypt. There he has two children, and he's used as, in essence, savior of the world. And in a very practical sense. And so, uh, this is, a, you know, what a gift to actually see him in areas now. Joseph is told dad's about to die and he's going to bring his kids, which then again are Jacob's grandchildren. Notice the verse, uh, verse two and verse three, it says Jacob was told. And then in verse three, it says Jacob said to Joseph. So we kind of get the idea the old guy is kind of in here at the moment. But in this, in verse two, it does say, look, your son, Joseph is coming to you. And we read right in the middle of that, Israel strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. Which does, I mean, one thing I can learn if I'm really going to go with this thing like I I tend to. And that is that even in the middle of a Jacob moment, Israel's still present and really ready to step in. And it'll be those. And as I get older, I start to learn that, to be honest, Israel and Jacob are a choice, a conscious choice I can actually make. I mean, in the beginning, I just feel like Jacob needed to be caged and then maybe Israel would come out and play. But as I get older, I really kind of get the idea that it's sort of like, I'm like, well, who do I want to be at this moment? My kid said something that I could actually open fire with. I better choose Israel. My wife is, you know, her back is hurting. Do I want to tend to that or do I want to be Jacob? You know, it's those kind of moments. Things are running late. Can I help with something? Ooh, you know. And then what happens is then I get all proud of the fact I'm doing something good and Jacob came out anyway. So, But let me just say this. Um, How many of you, and you can do it like this so that you don't have to feel like this, you have to lie about it, Um, are familiar with Hebrews 11 and what it basically is? Some of you? Okay, good. Okay. We call it the Hall of Faith. Because you'll read, by faith, this guy did this. By faith, this guy did this. You got this big write up on Abraham. You got this big write up on Moses. Do you know that in all of the things by faith, there's only one verse given to Jacob? And it's interesting because the one verse that is given to Jacob, I think, now, I want you to think of all of the things that Jacob has done because he's about to die next week. Well, actually, by the end of this, he'll die. Um, it's going to happen sooner or later. Uh, but, but with that, I, I, like, think of all the things that have gone on in his life. He would say, what's the one moment? You'd say, boom, this is the moment. That's the, the pinnacle of his faith. When he wrestled with the angel and finally surrendered. When he didn't reprimand his boys for what they did. His oldest for sleeping with one of his concubines. Is the next two boys for slaughtering an entire village because of what they had done to their sister? What would it be here 's the verse listen to this this is hebrews eleven twenty one by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff it 's interesting the one thing that God mentions will take place in the next two chapters and, and I, can I just say this as i 'm looking for it it 's this morning it 's totally ap- applicable. I mean, you know, it's, you know, for whatever reason lately, it's been late nights and early mornings, but it was, Jacob was in bed dying, but Israel was the one who got up. Can I say that? And and before I go any farther, I don't want to take it too crazy with it, but I do want to say this, that if all you are going to be is Jacob, you could be in such a state where you'll never want to get out of bed. There's nothing to get up for. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like you wake up and it's all, I mean, there's no faith. There's no faith in this. And so because of that, it's sort of like you're, here are the bills, here are the responsibilities. Everything is an obligation instead of an opportunity. Everything is just another thing that's going to deplete you instead of an opportunity to be refreshed by it and see God's handwork." When I mean, you remove God from it. Why not just stay in bed and get up to go to the toilet and hopefully someone will bring you food? If not, you'll just fast. I mean, and and I just get the idea. It's like, look it, I mean, here you are, you're laying there, you're waiting to die. And we read, hey, by the way, your son's coming, Joseph, the one that you had thought was dead for 20 years. And he's like, argh, argh, I'm getting up, I'm getting up, I'm getting up. He's going to lean on that staff that he has been limping on for over 20, well, now over 37 years when he actually wrestled with that angel in the first place who touched his hip. He has leaned on it ever since. That's a That's a familiar staff if he's ever known one. And so this is what he says. And my, I'm just going to state three things and I challenge you to consider them. Jacob speaks in verse 3. Not Israel, but the old man speaks. God Almighty appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan. By the way, that was the place where he first met God. And that's a beautiful thing. So might I just put it this way. The first thing that Jacob recounts is the picking. That moment when he actually really first met God. And it says, And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. This is verse 4. I will make you a multitude of people and give you the land of your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. The second thing that Jacob recounts is the promise. Here's the first thing again. I could tell you back when I first encountered God. By the way, if you encounter God, does that make you a Christian? I would say no, because there are an awful lot of people in the Gospels that encounter Jesus that I could comfortably tell you did not become Christians. Because ultimately there is a choice to be made when you do encounter him. What are you going to do with him? Some walk away more resolved to not have him. Some say, unless you do your little show my way, on my terms, I am not interested in what you have to offer. Some, on the other hand, are going to say, Jesus, I come and what I really want is I want you to heal this thing. I've got this problem in my life. I think my girlfriend's pregnant. I think I've got a warrant for my arrest. I think, I think, God, get me out of this situation. But in the end of it all, the Lord may do that. And when he does, if he does, then in the end of it all, the question is not what are you going to do with him. That doesn't make you a Christian just because God even healed you. When Jesus heals, cleanses 10 lepers, only one comes back to worship him. but nine of them had radical encounters with him that we don't we ever did anything other than people would say, "What happened? I got I'm cleansed." and they just went back to living the kind of life that somebody could have now that's been sort of granted a little extra time. Please don't let that be you today, and I'm speaking to myself to you and that. If two or more are gathered in his name, we know he's hearing. That doesn't mean he has to manifest, it doesn't mean he has to turn the room purple. But just for just to be confident, I'm here in Jesus' name. Is there anyone else? Just one of you. It's all we need is one of you. Any of you? Okay, good. As long as there's at least one of you. <laughs> so there you go. So I mean, the Holy Spirit's going to be with us anyway he dwells inside of us. The Father dwells upon his praises. I'd like you to consider the entire Trinity's been shoved in this room since we began. And it just says here that Jacob looks and goes, "Look goes, I can remember when I first encountered God. I can remember when he says, look at you. I've got you. I've got you on my target. You. And not just you, Mass, but you specifically. And, and I've got something specific for you, specific for you. And then I've got this promise. And the promise is for you. There's a promise for Landon and there's a promise for Rachel and a lot of that will be convergent because the two of them are married. But that will be very different perhaps than the promise that God has given to Rhoda. Some things are going to be universal because we're his children, but there are specific things in that promise that are going to be Jennifer exclusive or Suzanne exclusive or Marcy exclusive or whatever, then please understand God's not into taking numbers or into group reservations. He died for you individually. And don't rob God of the plan he has specifically for you by thinking you can shovel it on to somebody else who already has a plan for his life different than yours. Or, for that matter, how crazy it would be to try to think, if I could just have that guy's plan, if I could just be the next Billy Graham or Chuck Smith or whoever. And the bottom line is, praise God, we have those men, and now be the one he called you to be, because if you want to be like them, be who he called you to be. I think what's making them so effective is they're just being who God called them to be. If that makes any sense. And with all of that, now here he is. But here's the third thing, and what I find interesting, is, and it's a bit ironic in this, because he's in Egypt. So imagine what it's like when your father, who's about to die, <laughs> <laughs> I propped up now on my thing. We're in, we're in London and God had promised me Italy. I remember when he first said, I hope you like pasta, boy. Because you kind of eat a lot of it and talk like this. And you know, and I'm not trying to insult anyone here. And in all of that, he's like, and here we are. In London. Now is it's a bit ironic, isn't it? Because we think about the tone of what could be said with the fact that in this he is talking about how God promised him land he is not in and he's about to die. Not in the land God promised him. But it isn't where it ends. The most profound thing about Jacob's Jacob's message to his boys is the third thing of the three. Then he goes on to this. First of all, he does this thing where he says, "Look, it, here's the deal. Your boys are now replacing my first two boys." Now I don't know what Joseph, how Joseph would feel about it. I would feel a bit ripped off a little because these are my boys. These are my boys. He goes, "Look it. and what Joseph has done, and I don't, know, I'm sorry, what Jacob has done in this? Jacob, not Israel. But what Jacob has done is he's in essence disowned his first two boys and replaced them with Joseph's. Now remember, he has four wives. Dad does here. And of those four wives, there was one he really loved who only had two children. The oldest of those two children is Joseph. So in essence, in Joseph's, and in dad's mind, Joseph's always been the firstborn. And he's always been playing that way from the very beginning. And what, it's almost like he's looking for a reason to disqualify his boys. Now, his oldest boy, gave him, give him a little bit of help because he actually slept with one of his wives. Uh, by the way, that's in 3522. That would be, and he's like, well, there you go, you're disqualified. The next two boys murder an entire city. And by the way, for what that's worth, that's in 3425. So with that in mind, boom, they're out too. Now, the reason I say that is, now with all of that, he's kind of looking, the next guy in line literally would be Judah, which by the way, would be the one from whom the lineage to Jesus comes. But he's trying to replace him with this. Here's the most amazing thing. Look at where Jacob's speech ends. Verse 6. Your offspring, who you get after that, they can be yours, but these two boys, they're mine. Verse 7. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan, on the way when there was but a little distance to a town called Bethlehem. Now think about what... Dad just told you. Now, I mean, here you are. This is your last speech, in essence. You're thinking, and here you are with the one kid you really just didn't think you'd ever see again. He'd been dead in your mind for 20 years. What do you tell him? Now, I understand the woman he is speaking about is Joseph's mom. So there is that together. But can I just say that what Joseph is hearing from Jacob, first of all, was the picking. Second of all, was the promise or the plan, but the third was the pain. It was the past. It was Padan, that place where he almost made it. And I wonder how many times Jacob has gone through in his head, if I could have just gotten to Bethlehem, I mean, my wife had a rough labor. It was outside the city. But if I could have got her to, to, to Bethlehem, there would have been someone that could have taken care of her there. There could have been someone, some doctor, someone advanced enough that she wouldn't have died. If we, could. we were this close, this close. And man, if I had just gotten there. But no matter how many times you replay it in your head, it's still just this close. And Can I ask you something? Jacob's, Jacob Buzz, is there something that is still crippling you in your past? I mean, you know, it's like you pull out, you can drive anywhere in the world in your head your whole day, but sooner or later you're going to go pull back into that driveway of your past and it's still going to be there staring at you. And again, you're like, ah, just this. And you just kind of—I mean, this—this is—and I understand this has been a long time since this happened. Can I just say something that is—and this is, I believe, at least that I have planned the most offensive thing I'll say. Who knows what God will do from this point? But—but but listen, you have my permission to let it go. You have my permission to 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 actually cut the cord and, and leave it. Now, there are a lot of quote-unquote experts in this world that will tell you that your past defines you. Can I just say, maybe your past refines you, but it doesn't define you. Jesus defines you now, friends. And what the enemy would love is to sequester out of you the Jacob that says, you know, you'll always be a criminal. You'll always be a sleaze. You'll always be a drug addict. You'll always be an alcoholic. You'll always be, because you can't change your past. Look at, but I can tell you there is one thing. And let me just rephrase that. There is something. You can change your past. You can change it in this way. You can let The truth be known, which is that it's been washed in the blood of Jesus. And if it's been washed in the blood of Jesus, it's an entirely different thing. Behind Moses and the people were Pharaoh's army. That was 430 years past. For the last 430 years they've been in Egypt. For the last 400 years they've been slaves. 400 years. Four centuries. Almost half a millennium. That's a lot of slavery. Longer than you'll ever experience on earth. But when God actually freed them, He did this intentionally. He didn't just have them escape at night and then they never saw, they never saw Egypt again. He crossed them through the Red Sea and they had the privilege of watching all of that army drown and I think purposely in the Red Sea. And might I just say in the same way that when you came to Jesus, He took you to the other side, and then He washed all of your past, all of your slavery, all of your regrets, all of your pain in the Red Sea, and as if God were to say, stop, steer, look at this, there it is, boom, washed away. No more of this to be, this is no longer just something where you're like, I wonder, I wonder. Can I just say hallelujah? Amen. There was a girl that I knew back in Chicago who had been systematically and regularly tortured, and there's no better word for it, by a relative. And it was something that when she had become an adult, she had gotten to this place where she was still crippled, and understandably, and this uncle of hers had died. And the last thing she wanted was to go to this funeral. The last thing she wanted And and there was just a part of me, I was a brand new Christian. I'm like, look it, you you actually, you need to go. I'll go with you. I, I wasn't privy to the whole situation prior to this point, but I knew enough of it. And I just felt like the Lord was like, "Look, at, I, I know this is going to be for her healing. Trust me on this. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. All right, Lord, I'll do what is difficult. And so I look at, you need to go. And there we were and we sat and she sat because she was a family member and a close one in the front row and she sat there with me. I sat there with her, held her hand and, and I remember this and just, and her are just falling apart, her just shaking and just hyperventilating and those kind of things. But there was that point finally where everyone started to come up to the casket and we, we grabbed hands and I'm walking up there and we got to that point where she finally, you know, Kind of cross the precipice to see the face, and I'm like, "Look, he's dead now. He will never be a threat again. He's dead now." And it was the for the you know the certain people you kind of meet, and they always just seem a little jilted. There's like something happened, and they just kind of never really got their feet back. It was the first time I ever saw that girl as if she stood on her own two feet, breathed her own air, and went. She was different from that point on. There was something about staring at that thing that was once your slave driver and and seeing him dead. And this is God looking at Moses and saying, Look! Look at Pharaoh's army! Look at Pharaoh's army! They're dead now because I've delivered you. Because I've I've delivered you. Out of that, soon into the promised land. Because I'm not just going to remove you. I've got a better place altogether. Now, I don't know what your Pharaoh's army is. But I can tell you this. That Jacob will live there. Be crippled there. He'll be crippled by regrets. If only I could have. If only. he would be crippled by the pain you still feel when you go back to that thing. Or as I see here as well, and I see all of these with this, you could be crippled by the almosts. Almost. If I had just grabbed a hold of Mike right before he went down, and had grabbed a hold of him tighter, he wouldn't have let go, and I wouldn't have watched him die in front of me in the undertow. But I can't change that. And what's amazing is how you'll kill yourself over almost that weren't even your fault. You think, well, somehow I must have played part of it, but well, please listen, let God slay that person and cover that in blood. And maybe you feel like you have a right. The problem is, is that the moment that the, that the enemy brings entitlement into that moment, you know, you have, you have a right to hurt yourself. You have a right to hurt others. You have a right to hate life. You have a right to be mad at God. You have a right to, that's what he does at those moments, doesn't he? You look back at that, whatever that horrible tragedy is, and I don't want to make light of that tragedy, but I'm here to tell you that that's Jacob, but there's a difference when we get to Israel. And I'm just saying, look at God wants to give you permission. I, I certainly do as well. I want to give you permission to, to let it go? You're like, but I can't let it go. Look at I can tell you this: that the more that you let God make you the Israel He's intended, well, the more that that will be gone. For people who have had a tough time together, a couple, and they've had their rough moments, they say, "Well, what do we do now? How do we wash away?" I say, make new memories. And the more you make the newer memories that are better, there'll be more space and things in between that and what happened before. Let me just say, God has a bunch of amazing memories to make with you starting today. Let me say it one more time so we can move on to the rest of the text. He's got to be the Lord of your past. But the moment you let that really be covered in the blood of Jesus that it's intended to, the moment you can actually embrace the text that says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Why do you want to build your identity from your tombstone? Right? Here's the good news. Let me tell you what's ahead of you. Isaiah 65:17 says, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. He says in Revelation 21.4, God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. If God actually included all of your history in your memory in heaven, it wouldn't be heaven for you. He's going to have to wipe that out because it's only joy. And the reason it's only joy is because all that stuff has gone. matter of fact, the next verse he says, And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. In 1 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, "If anyone is in Christ, not just became in Christ, but is in Christ, he is currently a new creation. The old has passed away. The old man was crucified. The new has risen up. So, what do we do? According to Philippians three verse." 13, it says, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this I do. Paul is our example. I forget the things which are behind, which literally means to cast away and leave. Forgetting doesn't mean I can't get it back in my head. Literally, the idea of it like forgiving is to cast away. I'm going to throw that thing down. And if it keeps bouncing back at me, I'm going to keep throwing it down until it stays there. The good news is gravity is in your favor. And it doesn't matter what kind of ball it is, sooner or later, it's going to get down there. Forget the things which are behind. But listen, I don't just do that. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. Glory to God. Verse 8. Joe, I'm really sorry you weren't there to watch your mom die. I live it every moment. Speaking of Jacob. But glory to God, verse 8, then Israel. And you know what he saw that changed it? He saw his grandkids. He thought his son was dead for 20 years and now he saw his grandkids. And Israel rises up. He said, who are these? Well, these are my sons, whom God has given me, Dad, that you just took. But they're the ones that God has given me in this place. Now it says here that the eyes of Israel were, were so dim with age he couldn't see, which, by the way, he didn't understand, he kind of... Used that to his favor when dad was in that, in that particular state. But Israel says, I never thought I'd see your face, and now God's showing me your, your offspring. I never thought I'd see my son. Now I'm seeing my grandkids. Joseph brought them from beside his knees. Now, if kids are beside your knees, parents, how big do you think they are? Now, I think of kids beside my knees. I tend to think that they're kind of young. Yeah, as a matter of fact, They've been there since Joseph has been there. And I kind of get the idea that they're really still carpet rug burners or whatever. And they're kind of little kids. They're grommets. And he looks and he goes, wow, look at these little things running around. So he took them from there and he gives them to him. And here's the idea. So here we go. For the moment, Irene is playing the role of Joseph the son. His children happen to be our two young ladies that are here in front. And he's positioning them. That means the good news is I get to be the old guy. I was going to make Juan do that, but I won't. And so what happens is, as he's sticking out his hands like this because he knows he's going to bless his kids. So what happens then is Joseph positions them. The right hand, by the way, will be the favored hand. So he's positioning his oldest, and that's immaterial in regards to the two Has Nothing to do with age, but let's just play the role with me. That the idea that the oldest is going to be to his right so that he gets the favored hand on it. The younger them would be to the left. So dad, remember, is kind of dim with sight. And what dad does is he kind of leans over and he goes, like this. Right? And at that point, Joe, trying to be, you know, his dad's 147. <laughs> you know, he's killed. maybe he lost a little bit. So he's like, dad, and he tries to move his hands. Dad, don't do that. And he's like, no, no, I, son, I know what I'm doing. Now, remember, it says, by faith, this boy raised himself up and blessed these boys, his kids. And then he and listen to the difference in, and this is a, such a beautiful place to bring this to close. Listen to the difference in Israel's message. Verse fifteen, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who fed me all the lifelong to this day, the angel who has redeemed me again, remember angels' dispatch, who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless these lads. Let my name be named upon them. That the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow as a multitude into the midst of the earth. Let it be so much so that when people look, oh wow, I wish I was like those boys in fruitfulness. Listen to the three things. Remember the, the three things that we talked about. He talked about that, that moment when <coughs> excuse me, when he actually sort of he kind of met God in that moment when he got the promise from God, but then it ended up in the pain. And that past, that's where that was. This is all moving to the future. Now, this is the three things we see here. We see, first of all, that he is the God of the past, but he's a God of the past in faithfulness. He's like the God of our fathers. Let me tell you what I know. My dad was rescued from death up on Mount Moriah. He was given a bride. My mom. By promise. I was faithful. My grandpa left everything in Ur, the Sumerian culture basin, didn 't know where he was going, he left everything in theory, and in the end of it all, I mean ultimately, and in the end of it all, God always took care of him, and my grandpa wasn't perfect, but man, let me tell you what, as I look back, he took care of him. I and mean, he never went down on, on, on the Jacob side, on the Jacob side it's like, look at, there was a God who I did encounter. And he promised me that he'd give me land, but I'm gonna die here instead. The Israel side said, let me tell you what, man, if we, let's look at God's track record. Faithful, 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 faithful. He was faithful with the past way before, he was, look at, that's who he was before I met him. Jacob says, well, let me tell you, the first time, this is when I first met God and then I tried to figure him out. Here, Israel, on the other hand, saying, let me tell you, this is who God was way before I met him. He's always been faithful. Do you see the difference? There's a God here that didn't start the moment I met him. This is who he was before I met him. Now, the difference on this side is how, how I'm trying to actually bring him into me. On this side, how I'm trying to bring me into him. And on this side, he's always been faithful. I'd rather kind of get absorbed in that. Here, I'm trying to get God and figure out how he plays into my life. He gave me this promise. I'm dying in this land. Over here, God's always been faithful. And then the second thing is, not only do we talk about the God of the past and faithfulness, but he was the God who provides. Because let me tell you what, he's always taken care of me. He gave me bread, whatever. I mean, the good news is, when I looked, not only before when he was always faithful, but in my life, you know what? Somehow that bill got paid. I still can't figure out the math in that. Have you ever done that? You're like, you know what? Some I, somehow I've got less money than all of my bills, but they all got paid, and nobody gave us this I don't get it. And God's like he kind of whips out this spiritual slide rule and he goes, it's all taken care of. Me. And you're like, uh how? And we're still punching up numbers, figuring it out. He's always pen has he has he always provided for you? Now, maybe he didn't give you the lame coat, or maybe he didn't give you the Rolls Royce, but you got a car and it's getting you somewhere, or somehow you still have five pounds left on your Oyster card that'll get you home tonight. Somehow in all of it, look it, he is faithful. But let me tell you the other thing he says. Is that he said, this angel, this dispatch that he sent me, well, he redeemed me from all evil. Literally, he preserves me. And by the way, it's the first mention of the word redeemed in all of Scripture this is my God who redeemed me. He bought me back when I actually should have. I sold myself into evil and he bought me back anyways. he goes, you know what? That's the one I want to bless your boys. Here he is with his hands like this. And his son started pulling him off. He's like, stop, 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 stop. I'm in the, the a blessing here, boy. You know, and, and that kind of thing. And all of this. And, you know, here he is leaning on his staff. I mean, you're trying to pull a hand away. He's like, it's a pretty precarious, I would think. You know, at this point, you're like, really want to stop him and pull out the, the you know, oh, here he is, Dad, let me put him. Oh, no, stop, 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 stop. I know what I'm doing. All right. Now, look it. Let me tell you what I know about God. This is who he was before he met me. Faithful. This is who he was when he met me. Faithful. This is what I expect him to be to you. Faithful. that's what i I expect that's somebody that actually seems like israel's resolved the past a bit because you know there's some things i'm like i don't know how god where he was in the middle of this situation but the moment i start seeing him heal me i can go but he's still faithful still faithful hey look that doesn't make that situation any less heinous but it does make god faithful when i see how he's carried me from it within a handful of months i almost lost all of my girls one at a time Praise God, it was one at a time. There's weird enough situations that could have taken any of their lives. Each one unique and I won't develop it. But the bottom line in it is, is, I don't want to go and rehash those moments. I'd rather kind of look back and just go, you know what? He carried me through every one of those. And I'm really thankful for that. And look, at if you don't let the Lord be the Lord of your past and let him cover that, how exactly are you going to look to the future and expect him with any look with any hope? It's like, well, how do I reconcile the event? How about you just lay it at the Lord's feet and say, there's some stuff I don't understand, but you've always been faithful, and that I do understand. And now Israel's going to look to the future and say, I just expect him to be faithful. I'm going to die. I'm going to pass off the scene. That's all right. But you're not. I, I think you're going to outlive me here, boys. You are my grandkids. And I expect him to be faithful. And by the way, I'm sure he will be. I'm sure he will be. Okay, let me close this up. Because there's a cool little thing at the end. Verse 21, this is what he expects God to be faithful with, by the way. Behold, I'm dying. God will be with you. And he'll bring you back to the land of your fathers. In other words, God promised that land to us. That promise hasn't been concluded yet. It will. I expect him to do it through you. But then he says this. Moreover, I've given you one portion above your brother's whom I took from the land of Amorite. This is, now again, I'm giving, now, the firstborn gets that extra portion. Looks like Joseph has got that extra portion here. Interesting. Do you know what the Hebrew word is for portion? Shechem. Interesting. Because the word Shechem is like the word Shechem. Same word. Do you know where Joseph will be buried? Interesting. Remember, that's that place where everybody else needs to be buried. Because remember where, where the father and grandfather were buried? By the way, that's the of Machpelah, Which, by the way, for what it's worth, will be where this man, Israel, will be buried. And by the way, remember how that one wife that he didn't necessarily favor? All she wanted was to be loved. He'll be buried with her. Because Rachel will die at Bethlehem, remember? Or almost at Bethlehem. Listen to this text. And, and by the way, the book, the book of Joshua 2432 it says the bones of Joseph with which the children of Israel brought up out of the land of Egypt they buried at Shechem. And this is what he says. Now listen, Jacob says, I'm sorry, Israel says to Joseph, my boy. I've given you an extra Shechem. Bury me there. Would you please? He's like, "All right, dad." And guess what? He gets buried in Shechem. Not at the cave, but just in Shechem. I just think that that's beautiful and brilliant you know, thank you for, I've given you, remember the right of the firstborn, part of the responsibility is to give a proper burial. Now Joseph, by the way, will also die. So it's going to have to be his boys and his boys, his boys, fourth generation down. But in that, he's got to hand it down and go, look it, tell your kids, tell your grandkids, I promise dad, give me the extra inheritance just like so. Promise dad, don't make me a liar, please. And they did it. Praise God for their faithfulness. And look at this. We go to prayer. And we're theoretically almost right on time. Listen, I don't expect this to be light and froofy. We've had our moments of chuckles, but, but let's be honest. This is intended to be something like chewing gum that has a really kind of sweet flavor for a couple of minutes, gets our jaws chopping for a couple of seconds, and then the end of all we spit it out and someone gets it gets under someone's shoes. I mean, in, in the end of it all, God is intended to perform surgery here today. He would not bring you on all days to this message without really wanting to do some work. Let's be honest. And it is time to let God do the work he wants to do. Now, that isn't like, you know, you don't do surgery through drive-thru, occasionally with something with lasers. But for the most part, it usually takes some time. I mean, there's some things that have to happen first. The body has to be prepared. And in that, by the way, there should be, tell me if this makes sense, there should be a stillness. You really don't want, for instance, to perform surgery like removing a gallbladder in a moving vehicle, like especially some of the buses we ride, or basically you'll be having your lungs removed before you're done. And that's not just because they read the chart wrong. And the reason I say that is, is that this is what I want to ask of you. And this is my humble request. I've spent a lot of time up the last few days. And I I know that part of it is because I really want to make sure that I can see you with a clear face and be able to say that I know where the Lord is taking me on all of this. And I know that, you know, the crazy part is when I got saved, the the past I came from, God did a real miracle in all of that. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think I've ever had any form of you know, bitterness or weirdness to some situations that have really been rather crazy in my life prior to that. But there have been situations since then that have been rather easy for me to, all of a sudden, I've been more quick to pick them up now, and that doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't want to be crippled. I don't even want to be slightly, you know, whatever, just slightly lessened because of any situation. Whether that past was this morning, last night, seven years ago, 25 years ago, whatever the situation, I don't want any of that. The world's going to live there. Jacob's going to stay chained to that. You've been set free, haven't you? If you haven't, will you actually ask the Lord? Now look at it, is it cruel to ask God to set you free from something that he actually wants to set you free from? But wait a minute, my this particular expert says it's going to need 75 more years at six sessions a, a week. Look at I, I don't want to play with that. I want to tell you what if the Lord just actually healed your heart? What if the Lord actually healed your mind? Can He? I know He can. So as quiet as it can be in here with the Congolese screaming in the back, I just I just want just to take a couple minutes and could you just can kind I of get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, is there any area still that I need to watch Pharaoh's army washed away in the Red Sea? Could you show me that today? Could you show me that right now? Can I actually walk out of here a different person than I came in? Could you take that moment right now? Then we're going to close in prayer. Corporately. Lord of all of the titles we've given you we recognize one of them is Prince of peace but I confess to you that I could cling to things that are that have um, that are so far from way that even the people who are involved may not even... Well, they certainly aren't the people they were then anyways. And it seems like the only person I'm ever going to punish is me. And it seems ironic to me that there are situations that maybe all of us in here may feel like that we've been victims of in our past, that we really have been victims. We've been victims of someone else's selfishness or the enemy's wiles that have been worked through some other person that we've been affected by and we hate the fact that we've been so victimized. And if we hate that fact, then can we hate just as much the fact that we continue to victimize ourselves by reliving it? And I confess to you that I may not have the strength to let go of everything, but you have the strength to take it from me. And if you really do want to make me the new creation, you desire to make me that I need to cast down and those things that were once, um, that, that I could still feel pain when I think of and those things that I could still be offended by, those things that I could keep a record of wrongs on and, and all it does is make me more incompetent, less the witness and less a testimony and evidence of your power to make someone brand new. So I can see why the enemies work so hard to try to cripple us Disable us in these arenas. And God, I don't ever want to belittle how horrible a situation was in the past, but I never want to make it bigger than your power. I never want to make it more filthy than your purity. Make it more commandeering than your power, than your mastery, than your authority, your lordship. God, I pray right now you radically start cutting chains and shackles and manacles and stocks that you free us from prison cells just like you promised you'd come to do that in the book of Isaiah. I pray right now, Lord God, that you would turn me into the kind of witness of a person that is so full of your joy that it would be so anti-cultural here that you would give birth to a new culture, the culture of joy, culture of peace, of hope in you. So for that to happen, I pray first of all that you slay every Jacob in this room. Mine included. So Lord, I pray right now for any person who may never have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ where our old man was laid to death at the cross or for every one of us as Christians just recognizing the need to lay that old of us at the cross and allow you to be the architect of our reinvention. We just openly confess, Jesus, you as our Redeemer. You as our ransom. Paying the price for my sins upon that cross. Laying to rest who I've been. But you've risen again, Jesus, and in that you offer me a new life where the old man no longer rules and reigns, and sin no longer has mastery over me. But I can be free now to serve you, free now to praise you, free now to love others, free now, Lord, to trust you. And I pray for every person here, Lord, right now, that you bring about a sincere, genuine deliverance. Out of that, into your arms, where you want us. I pray you deliver us forevermore, starting right now, from any lie of entitlement that makes us feel like we're entitled to get wasted, we're entitled to sleep around, we're entitled to be responsible, we're entitled to hurt ourselves, we're entitled to hurt others, we're entitled to be selfish, we're entitled to be the person that victimized us. Slay that now. And in its place, put that we are free to love you. We're free to love others. We are free to accept that you are making us something gorgeous and profound. As you slay the faithless Jacob in us, Lord, replace with a double portion, the faithful Israel that sees you as faithful in the past, sees you as faithful now, and trusts that you will be faithful with every breath that still remains in us. And so, Lord, now, reign upon us. And be the Prince of Peace we desperately need. Make us the Israels you intend us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.